The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball world with a strong Rhode Island uh, bent. Uh, This is Kevin McNamara, columnist here at the Journal. And it's a Friday. What day is it? It's tough to tell this time of year. It's Friday morning, and uh, we're looking at a busy weekend on the college basketball scene, actually beginning tonight with Brown down at Yale, and we'll be sending my cohort here, Bill Koch, down Route 95 as soon as we wrap up here. Yeah, I'm going to be on the road a little bit. Uh, Brown at Yale on Friday night, URI at UMass on Sunday, Uh and as folks who follow the podcast know, Kevin McNamara will also be en route uh, to a rather big game, not of the basketball type, uh, on Sunday night as well. Well, uh, let's go back a little bit. I know that our, our followers, fans, always like to know about our various basketball travels. So my basketball travel was a little unique last week. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the Patriots had a little game in Kansas City on Sunday night. Um, and seeing the weather back here in Rhode Island... What was it minus twenty wind chill? Uh, it wasn't good. It, it didn't. It didn't really attract me too much. It, depending on where you were, it snowed a little. It rained a little. It iced a little. It, it generally was unpleasant. So flying back on Monday was not attractive, and uh, flying back out to Cincinnati on Tuesday was even less attractive. Right. So we decided to drive from Missouri to Ohio. So I saw five Midwestern states. Outstanding. Uh, but had a stop in between, and I, I said to our boss, Bill Corey, I said, it'd be great if I could see like a Indiana high school basketball game right. or a college basketball game. Uh, so this was Monday night, Martin Luther King night, and it seemed as if maybe most of the high schools probably closed up shop because of the holiday. So sure. I spent a night in Evansville, Indiana. Okay. The Aces were not playing. Okay. Uh, now, who's the coach of the Aces? Ooh, good question. He's a former Celtic. I'm going to go with Walter McCarty. You got it. Yes. Walter McCarty. He's a native of Evansville. Mm-hmm. Obviously played at Kentucky for Rick Pitino, um, but they were off, so I searched high and low on a Evansville high school game, and there's several high schools in Evansville, and not happening. Wow, unfortunate. So, yeah, so I just had to sit and watch some some basketball and then get up the next day and drive to Ohio, and uh, you know, on that front, we'll lead off with the Friars, who... Uh, came up with a very uh, important uh, 64-62 win at Xavier, and that's the first time Providence could ever say that they had won at Xavier at the Sintas Center. Uh, five, first five trips as Big East uh, members, Providence and Xavier, Xavier won, and this time uh, in a really ugly finish uh, where Providence did its best to open the door for the Musketeers, and the Musketeers literally kicked the ball away. They had 18 turnovers at home against a lot of zone defense. And, Bill, I know you saw the game on replay. Uh, again, it's one of those where you just grab the win and get on the plane and come home. Yeah, at this point for Providence, uh, style points really don't matter. You were looking at 1-5 and five in the Big East, and realistically this is going to sound too simple. The road back from 2-4 and four is a lot easier than the road back from 1-5. and five. Mm-hmm. If we're trying to get to 9-9, nine and nine, uh, realistically... You know, Providence has to play seven and five the rest of the way, as opposed to that was quick math. I uh, like that. that. Was pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to you know eight and two. Sure, right? sure. Uh, oh, my math could be wrong there. And, and you're coming home 
to play DePaul. It's actually eight and four. Okay, okay, close enough. <laughs> but uh, your point's well taken. Uh, at, at some point, you need to actually win a game. That's right. And uh, you know, Providence grabs their second Big East game, uh, Big East victory, I should say. And now they come home Saturday to face DePaul. Uh, I'm sorry, Sunday afternoon at noontime to face DePaul. So, and I'm not. <laughs> And hitting DePaul at all, but I know we talked about this before we began. Uh, Villanova is six and zero in the Big East. Marquette is six and one in the Big East, and then eight teams have four losses, including the Friars. Right. This is the reality for Providence and everyone else who is not Villanova and Marquette. Who are you going to finish in front of? Those are the teams that you need to beat. Theoretically, Providence has already played Villanova at home. They lost. They played at Marquette. They lost. You might be able to beat Marquette at home later in the year. Your chances at Villanova probably a little more slim. Mm-hmm. So the other group of seven, how many games can you win against them? That's going to determine where you finish in the league. This was a game that Providence absolutely had to have. And give them credit. It was ugly. Uh, you watch the second half, particularly the end of the game. As you mentioned, the last few possessions were ragged. Neither team really executed anything of note. But Providence was able to get it done in a place where I've been out to the Cintas Center twice. I watched Providence get beat pretty convincingly Mm -hmm. both times. This is a really good win for them. Mm-hmm. No, uh, you know, although Xavier is is down, uh, you know, last year people forget they they won the Big East. The national champions did not. They were one seed, weren't they? They were a one seed, and you know, loaded. Uh, probably the best team that they've ever had. And then they lost five seniors, and their coach Chris Mack left to go to Louisville. So Xavier's in a rebuilding situation. It's good, uh, you know, opportunity to steal one out there, and uh, they're actually in a. A little bit of a heap of trouble. They're eleven and nine. They have nine losses already, so they're going to have you know their issues to get back to the NCAs are long right now. But it's I'm not quite sure who's in good shape in the Big East besides those two top teams because everyone has a lot of winning to do. Well, and this this opens a discussion. We we've seen the Big East be a candidate to get as many as seven or or eight teams into the NCAA tournament uh, over the last couple of seasons. This year, aside from Villanova and Marquette, who are certainly in good position, uh, albeit not to be one seeds or or two seeds or anything like that, but they would be comfortably in the field. Um, Are we looking at a situation where the other eight teams are that good or the other eight teams are that flawed and just beating up on one another? Yeah, I'd I'd put St. John's uh, safely... Uh, plenty of room in the tournament. They're fifteen and four, uh, but they are three and four in the league. And if you tell me that they're going to finish under five hundred in the league, then that changes their resume dramatically. I, I do think that St. John's will end up being fine, but everybody else from Seton Hall to Butler, uh, Creighton, and Providence, a lot of work to do. And uh, point well taken. Uh, you know, this is an opportunity for, for uh, Providence. Actually, has a kind of unique. Dip in their schedule a little bit. They they have DePaul twice in a week, right? Which I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. I guess we'll be able to assess in a week. But they host DePaul on Sunday, go to uh, Seton Hall on Wednesday, and then go to DePaul on Saturday. And uh, DePaul looks very much like the Friars. They're three and four in the league. Uh, they played an awful lot of close games. Uh, they're vastly improved, especially inside. Paul Reed is a sophomore who's really helped them a little bit. Uh, but I think we know what to expect from DePaul. They'll play tough. It'll be a little scratchy. And when it's out in Chicago, they'll be like nobody there. 
I, I think this is a stretch where Providence, realistically, if they want to put themselves in a position where they can make a run at a six straight NCAA, they need to go three and one here. Uh, I think that's probably the minimum. You've got DePaul twice, Seton Hall sandwiched in between, and then Georgetown, a team that you had beat on the road twice, mm-hmm. lost the game. You have the Hoyas here at home on February 6th. Uh, I think Providence, at minimum, needs to win three of these games. I, I think this is probably the softest part of their schedule that they're going to have because then you flip to St. John's on the road, Villanova on the road. Those two games will be difficult. But if you have some momentum going into those, maybe you can steal one of them. No, uh, and Providence, to their credit, has played well on the road pretty much the entire season. Uh, it was funny the other day. I, I, I don't know if they played well on the road, and they still won. You know, they shot forty-one percent from the field. Uh, it was a very unique game because uh, the referees Brian O'Connell, Jeff Anderson, and Evan Burrows really let two physical teams play. Uh, there were only let me see here. There were sixteen only, free throws in the game. Sixteen free throws, only twenty-six fouls. Which you would say, oh, geez, you know that's a problem. It's a blessing for Providence because that means they didn't have to go to the free throw line. That's right. Because we know how right. bad they are shooting free throws. They're the worst team in the league, one of the worst in the country from the line, and yet they were eight eight of ten. Uh, hats off to Nate Watson. He made two big ones with about a minute to go, but. You know, uh, Alpha Diallo went to the line with seven seconds to go, two point game, one and one, missed. Yeah, it, it, you know those those misses have already cost Providence a couple games, and uh, you know that cannot continue to happen. And then Xavier came down and missed at the buzzer to you know win or tie. Yeah, it's unfortunate because Alpha had a pretty good line. Otherwise, didn't mm-hmm. shoot the ball all that well, but six rebounds, five assists, five steals, only one turnover in 36 minutes. That, that's a pretty good all-court game for him. Uh, another guy, Kevin, who you know we've talked about on the podcast, Isaiah Jackson, was six for eight from the field, um, had no turnovers in, in 29 minutes. He really sort of reined in his game in this one. He's had a couple games where he's had high field goal attempts, not much efficiency. Uh, this was a really good performance by him off the bench. Yeah, he's become a bit of a barometer player for Providence. When, when he plays well, they're a much tougher out. Uh, he's going to play his minutes. He played 29 minutes. Uh, this is pretty much what he what he does all the time coming off the bench. Uh, but he's had some bad games, especially shooting the ball. And I think Ed Cooley would say he was just as impressed with his three offensive rebounds and, and two assists. Mm. Uh, you know, just, just helping scratch out uh, a really important win. Uh, so that's it for the Friars. Uh, the URI Rams are in an interesting spot in their schedule as well, uh, coming off – I think it might be the most impressive and important win of the season, 71-65 over VCU at the Ryan Center, uh, also on Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, I did not see any of the game, but I know VCU. I've seen them play twice this year. You you know they're going to play tough, and they're going to be physical, and they're going to make it hard for you. And Rhode Island was in trouble in the first half with only 21 points, their second lowest half of the season. A twenty-seven percent shooting, and they really turned it around uh, with a really impressive second half. They shot fifty-three percent from the field and put up fifty uh, on the VCU Rams, which is impressive. In Rhode Island's case, you know, they're down twenty to ten after about eleven minutes, and they looked overwhelmed. Uh, VCU is pressuring them. Uh, they have a top-five national defense, according to Ken Palm. Rhode Island looked a little intimidated, a a little unsure of themselves. But what Rhode Island does when they're playing at their best is they defend. They dig in. Mm -hmm. They make life very difficult for you. The next 20 minutes, VCU scored 14 points 
in this game. Rhode Island went from down 10 to up 9 during that stretch. They ended up with a 12-point lead with about three and a half minutes left. VCU made a couple you know, late, desperate runs, uh, but couldn't quite get it there. Jermaine Harris made a foul line jumper with about 33 seconds to go to put Rhode Island up by four. And then Christian Thompson drew an offensive foul at the other end. Uh, VCU turned it over and, and had to foul. Rhode Island made the free throws. Uh, key offense-defense exchange there. A couple of winning plays, one by the freshman, one by the redshirt junior. And uh, like you said, Kevin, a, a real impressive, I would say a culture win for URI, their fifth straight over VCU overall. Uh, I'm curious what you thought of VCU, only because they seem like a team that that the Rams could see again. You know, they, they, uh, you know, obviously came in and didn't play well, you know, offensively or you know, defensively in the second half. In, in their mind, you know, they let Rhode Island score 50. But uh, I do think that VCU should be an upper level A10 team right to the finish. Uh, offensively challenged, mm-hmm. from what I saw, they had 13 turnovers in the first half. 19 total. Finished wow. with 19 for the game, which is way too many. Um, you know, they they had a real tough shooting night from three. They were two for 12. They they don't necessarily shoot the three that well to begin with. Um, you know, but that was a little bit ugly from the outside. Uh, Isaac Van, who's their starting two guard, I think he was a minus 15 in 33 minutes, which you know you need more than that out of him. He's one for six from the field. And That's he, not going to get it done. And he was a hot transfer from someplace. From Maine. From Maine. That's right. He yeah. scored a lot of points up at Maine. Bob right. Walsh, our old friend, got him out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, he was a big-time player at Maine and, and decided to leave for what he perceived as greener pastures. Uh, well, ha- he needs to go a little better than one for six. Yeah, had a real difficult time in this game. Uh, the guy who really hurt Rhode Island, actually, and, and would have been on the floor more if it wasn't for foul trouble, was the Taunton, Massachusetts native Marcus Santos Silva, who has done a lot of work on his body. Kevin, I know you saw him on the grassroots circuit quite a bit. Mm. Uh, guy who's lost a lot of weight. He's really active inside. Had 17 points in this game in only 23 minutes, and you wonder if he hadn't gotten into foul trouble in the first half, what he might have been able to do to the Rams inside. And uh, Rody now has um, a, a busy busy stretch here, both uh, two road games at UMass on Sunday, and we'll get into the Minutemen in a minute. In a minute. And then go to Duquesne, and Duquesne is uh, one of the surprises of the A-10 at 5-1. and one. Then Rhode Island will come home and face uh, first place St. Louis, who is also 5-1, and one, uh, a team that I think Rhode Island will have an awful lot of confidence against because they, they played them tough out in Missouri. But uh, you got to take care of business, first of all, at UMass. And UMass is a really interesting team to me, Bill, because the last time you know both of us saw them uh, in person was they came into Providence, were down 20 and came back and beat the Friars, which now in retrospect is really a horrible loss for the Friars, which I think we knew at the time, but really bad because UMass is only 7-12 and overall and is yet to win an A-10 game at 0-6. They're on a seven-game losing streak right now. Uh, started right out of the blocks losing to LaSalle at home, which was a big surprise. Uh, lost St. Louis by three on the road. Dayton by five on the road. George Mason by five at home. Uh, got beat up pretty good at VCU. And then against St. Bonaventure the other night on Wednesday, they played without Rashawn Holloway, their big center. He had flu-like symptoms. They were down 20 late in the second half. They mm-hmm. lost by 14, 65-51, and just looked rudderless out there. Uh, you know, a team that was sort of flailing away, firing up desperation, three-pointers. Just not a good basketball team right now. But I would say for Rhode Island, 
this is going to be a new experience for their young guys from the standpoint of how do we deal with prosperity now? We've dealt with some adversity, losing to George Mason at home the way they did. It was an ugly loss. They gave up 84 points. They lost by 17. Mm-hmm. They've won three straight since then. This win over VCU is, is the best win of the season that they've had. You're going to Duquesne. Then you have St. Louis coming in. UMass is the very definition of a trap game. It's going to be played in an empty Mullen Center. No one's going to care. No one's going to show up. But UMass being 0-6 is going to look at URI and say, this is an opportunity for us to get on the board and spoil something here. Rody's not going to be any more than a two- or three-point favorite in this game. So if I was David Cox, if I could, I'd be beating it in my young guys' heads. Hey, this isn't going to be easy. And they have talent. You know, I'm I'm really surprised that UMass is 0 6. You just listed the scores, and I'm not surprised that they were competitive in most of the games against some pretty good teams. George Mason, uh, the top in that the list there. Uh, you know, some veterans in, in Pipkins and Holloway. Uh, Carl Pierre, ask Ed Cooley about Carl Pierre. Uh, he can make threes in bushels if you don't guard him. Uh, you know, th- th- there's ability there. There's a lot of athleticism. But uh, clearly, Matt McCall has not been able to rein in his team just yet. But uh, I, I agree, dangerous game for the Rams, but one they, they need to put in the satchel. You know, and, and credit to Rhode Island. Uh, you mentioned Matt McCall not being able to rein in his guys. David Cox has, and, and one guy in particular, Fats Russell. Again, his third straight strong game against VCU. Uh, seven for 16 from the field. Only one three-pointer taken. He's only taken five the last three games he's made three of them uh has shown more willingness to go to the rim to be a playmaker off the dribble um credit to the staff more importantly credit to the player for turning into someone who can be a key piece not just in the future for uri but for this team right now no i I can't agree more because if you asked me at the beginning of the year would fats russell have a big scoring year i'd say yes if you said is he going to be able to good you know be a potent three-point shooter i'd say absolutely and he just wasn't. Uh, had some really, really struggle games, and most of them uh, was reliant too too heavily on the three point shot. Right. You know, he would go, you know, four for twenty, and uh, sixteen of his twenty shots would be threes. And and uh, again, to his credit, I, I think more at the player than the coach. The coach can say a million times, "Hey, ease up on the threes," but uh, Fats is, I'm sure. People are almost all but daring him to shoot threes, and he's he's getting to the lane, he's getting to the free throw line, and he can say, "Hey, listen, you got 19 points. You did it the hard way. You did it the way we need you to get it." Yeah. Um, uh, Bill, switching quickly to Bryant, uh, I got to give it big time to the Bulldogs last night with a 63-60 win over Central Connecticut. Uh, Bash Towns, for the second time in a couple weeks, makes a a big three-pointer late. He hit one with nine seconds last night to break a 60-60 tie and give the Bulldogs a win. They're now 4-3 and in the Northeast Conference. And, uh, you know, this is a team that was kind of left for dead about a month ago. So uh, hats off to Jared Grasso and and especially his players. Yeah, uh, Bash did the same thing against Dartmouth uh, late in the non-conference schedule. 68-67 win where they were down two and opted to play for the win. Uh, Bash came off a screen and and made a three-pointer from out high in a similar position to the one he made last night against Central Connecticut. Uh, It's a 60-60 tie. You had the feeling that that was the guy that they wanted with the ball. Um, The fact that he took a three, it's something that he's become more comfortable with Mm. this season. He sort of expanded that mid-range game a little bit. 
Uh, Bryant has won back-to-back games for the first time this year, the first time in two years, actually. They didn't do it last season. Um, also, 4-3 and three in the Northeast Conference. It's the first time they've been over 500 after seven games since the 2015-16 season. So you look at Brian and you look at the progress that they've made. 7-11 and 11 overall. They've got one more home game in this stretch against Fairleigh Dickinson on Saturday. Uh, a game that is going to be like the last two or three. It's going to be a coin flip type game. Uh, but if Bryant is able to win it, come out 5-3 and three with three wins at home. Uh, just more and more progress from the Bulldogs here in Smithfield. Yeah, and you know, the one thing they haven't been able to do is, is sweep at home. That They've had some success on the front end of these weekend uh, you know, home game doubleheaders uh, and, and not been able to bounce back. i, I be honest with you, I couldn't tell you what Faley Dickinson is looking like right now, but my assistant here, uh, Mr. Koch, comes he- heavily prepared with his laptop. I wing it. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, w- w- what's FDU looking like right now? Uh, Faley Dickinson, 3-4 and four in the league, so similar to Bryant. Coming off two straight wins uh, at home. Beat Mount St. Mary's, and then beat St. Francis of Brooklyn in also uh, a thriller, 60-58 to 58 mm. on Thursday night. Uh, Fairly Dickinson, let's see, what do they have here? Darnell Edge, 18 points, uh, senior guard. So you're looking for you know, someone to be a lead dog. Senior guard is a good guy to have. Yep. Uh, senior forward Mike Holloway, 10 points in that game as well. Um, so you're looking at Fairly Dickinson, a team that looks a lot like Bryant. Um, you know, and, and realistically, they have a couple good wins, actually. They beat Princeton early in the year, which is a, a very good win uh, for any team in the Northeast Conference. Yeah, they came in and played Providence, I believe. Uh, after you F- lost to Providence, F- yep. 69-59 yep. Uh, early this season. Uh, I, I certainly remember them. And um, uh, I think what we see in the Northeast Conference pretty much year after year, even the last couple of years when Bryant really struggled, uh, they lost a lot of close games. And right. this year, they're in a lot of close games. They, they've won a couple and lost a couple, and we kind of expect that to uh, continue to play out. So, Winning some games, uh, keep winning games at home. Brian improved to seven and zero this year when holding opponents to under seventy points uh, with the sixty three sixty win. So, wow, uh, d- defense is is certainly helping. And uh, they trailed at the half last night and have now won five games when trailing at halftime. So, which is impressive. Sign. That that speaks a lot to their mental toughness. They mm-hmm. did the same thing against St. Francis, PA, the other night. Uh, they were down at the half by four. Ended up winning by nine and, and kind of won that game going away. Byron Hawkins had all of his 16 points in the second half. So, Bill, let's preview tonight's game a little bit uh, before we wrap things up. Brown is at Yale, uh, coming off uh, uh, Ivy League opening 70-67. Yale victory at Brown, uh, which I know you were at. Uh, it snapped a six-game winning streak for the Bears. Uh, you tell me, is can Brown can Brown win tonight? Sound like it was evenly matched the first time around. Uh, I would say why not? Uh, considering the first game, Desmond Cambridge went three for eighteen, mm-hmm. only had seven points. You force twenty Yale turnovers; they're five for twenty from three. You lose the game by three. You had a couple threes late that rimmed out that would have tied it. Um, you know, realistically, if you're Brown, if you're going to make a serious push here for the top four or even the top two in the league, you have to win the game. It's that simple. Um, you, you don't really have a choice. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll go the other way around. If you look at, uh, you know, last week was the game you had to win. It, it was at home. Uh, I, well, I think, that's right. I, I, think Yale, right. I think Yale at home, I, I'd be surprised if Yale doesn't win, in all honesty. Uh, you know, they're coming in with confidence. They just beat the team, and now they're at home. 
That said, uh, to your point, next week, Dartmouth, uh, Brown is at Dartmouth and at Harvard. Uh, I think they need to find a way to be two and two uh, yeah. uh, after four games. Now, going up to Dartmouth and Harvard is not easy either, um, but but you got to win somewhere, and you lost your one home game. So uh, have to find a way to win on the road. Yeah, Yale has won eight straight uh, over Brown at home. Uh, this is their best start to a season, actually, since 1945-46. Wow. They were 13-1 and that year. They're 11-3 and this year. Um, you know, and Like you've said before, uh, Yale has just about everything that you could ask for. They have good guards. They shoot the ball well. A couple athletic big guys inside, Jordan Bruner in particular. Um, it's it's going to be a tough one for Brown, but realistically, I, I think Brown needs the game. They needed a split. They knew that coming into the weekend. They sort of let one get away, uh, you know, last Saturday in a game that you know Cambridge didn't play well, and they still had a chance to win. Generally, that's not the case. If he doesn't play well, they they generally have no chance to win. Uh, we saw that at Rhode Island earlier this year. He was two for eleven from the field. They lost by twenty. Mm-hmm. They weren't in that game for for five seconds. Um, you know, so Brown needs to get a little something out of him. Uh, Tim and Ang Cho had 18 and 16 in that first matchup against Yale. If he can do anything approaching that, again, that would be a very nice contribution. Um, but realistically, this this is where we, we can measure the growth of Brown. Whether or not, as a program, their guys are able to come together, put away a disappointing performance from last week, and sort of get a win that would announce them as a real contender in the league. Oh, no question. You go down to Yale and win, uh, that would be be a big-time victory. And uh, Brown uh, played good defense again last week. They lead the Ivy League in field goal percentage defense and three-point defense. And if that, you know, is a staple, uh, Mike Martin's team will have a chance to get it done down there. So we'll see. Bill, next week. Not going to be on the on the on the podcast. No, we might have to have uh, some special guests here. Well, I'm going to leave that in your hands. Um, you know, I know your your travels. You're going to come across a lot of hoopnicks. So who knows? Maybe, maybe you can record some some hot interviews and uh, talk around them. And who knows? You know, be creative. <laughs> I, I don't know how hot the interviews will be, but could be Bill Reynolds. Could be Bill Corey. My twin Bills co-conspirator. Well, those are two hot shots Talk right Pete. there. I mean, really. So that would be that would be big time. Yeah, I can't bring in anyone who's going to make me look too bad. You understand? I understand. I understand. All, all I know is I'll be listening. Uh, I head to Atlanta on Sunday. The NFL uh, loves to publicize the Super Bowl. Needless to say, and they sure. roll out the red carpet beginning on Monday. What do you have planned for the week? Well, in all honesty, it's busy on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and yeah. the players stop talking, right. uh, and then. So in theory, uh, we can breathe a little bit on Friday and Saturday night. So what I really hope for your sake is that the government shutdown yeah. is settled, because as we all know, anyone who has traveled extensively, the Atlanta airport, Hartsfield-Jackson International, is one of the busiest airports in the world. It would be absolutely brutal if you had anything less than full staffing there. Well, I uh, I think my flight back the Monday after the Super Bowl is at three thirty. I'm glad it's not at 6.30 a.m. Yes. Because I can only imagine what uh, that place is going to look like. You'd have to uh, get there overnight. I don't do that. I don't do that well. I'll I'll be typing overnight. Come on, it's a Super Bowl. The game ends at night. You know the the drill. I do. I do. But uh, we will be back uh, together in two weeks. And until then, enjoy the games, everybody. All right.